Hi, welcome to Penlaw Perspectives. My name is Magali Duke and I'm currently a rising 3L at Penlaw. I'll be taking over Penlaw Perspectives for this episode. For any new listeners, Penlaw Perspectives was started last year by Jeremiah Ote, class of 2020. He started Penlaw Perspectives to capture how the pandemic was impacting his classmates' law school experiences and personal lives. Penlaw Perspectives provides a platform for student-centered audio content for the larger Penn community and beyond to hear and learn from. In this episode, I'm excited to be with Reem Brooks, one of the first-ever Sadie Scholarship recipients, to talk about her journey to Penn. This episode is very meaningful to me because around this time last year, on the heels of national protests against police brutality after the police killings of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and Ahmaud Arbery, our Black Law Students Association sprung into action and advocated for a number of crucial initiatives to address racial inequities. Out of frustration and hope for Black financial equity, I suggested Penn Law implement three full tuition scholarships to honor the legacy of Dr. Sadie T.M. Alexander, the first Black woman to graduate from Penn Law. Her portrait in the entry of the school is what led me to Penn, and learning Reem was a recipient less than a year after submitting the proposal through BALSA brought me to tears. Tears of joy, of course. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. smaller town in Northern Virginia. Um, I'm the youngest of six siblings. So okay. I'm a- <laughs> <laughs> nice. and I'm interested obviously in the law, but mainly criminal legal work. I got interested in the work originally through my high school English teacher, my junior year of high school. She used to do door knocking basically to help register folks who had felony records and help them to apply to have their voting rights restored. So that was my first real understanding of the depths of the criminal legal system and really the extent to which its its tendrils invade people's lives. Um, Obviously also growing up in a predominantly poor Black community, I saw it in other ways, but that was really my exposure to doing some sort of advocacy work on that front. so I got to college. I did a lot of work in undergrad, working with people in prisons. I did arts workshops in the prisons in Rhode Island. I did, I tutored sociology and English in the men's facilities there. I also did a, a sort of re-entry program um, in one of the men's prisons, which was supposed to help certain people um, get access to employment and residential support once they were released. Um, Super interesting. It was- yeah, it was it was great work, but um, it was fraught. I mean, the program itself was super restrictive, and in, in the sense that 
you know, you had to have committed only X number of charges and you have to be, uh, you, you couldn't have committed these certain charges or crimes. You couldn't have a sentence longer than X amount of time. And, and so it was sort of deciding on the front end who was worthy of receiving this sort of support, which was troublesome um, mm-hmm. to say the least. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, I love the, the, the folks that I worked with through that program and all of the workshops that I used to do in the prisons. And really that became my passion. So I did a lot of community organizing work too around supporting formerly incarcerated people and supporting people inside. Um, ultimately ended up at the Federal Defenders where I work now. I'm a paralegal here um, in Manhattan. We do a lot of direct client support work, uh, but predominantly we support our clients who are facing federal criminal charges um, which range from gun charges or um, drug charges to sometimes terrorism related charges or child pornography, child enticement sort of things. So it really runs the gamut, the clients that we support. Uh, and that's, I guess, the trajectory to where I am now to Penn. Uh, I mean, I've been, wor- I've been working at the Federal Defenders now for five years. I graduated in 2016. So it's been a long time here. Um, so for me, I knew that when I went to law school, my priorities were living in a diverse, but also very black city. Um, and also community was going to be super important to me because I am 27 and I, (laughs) I don't want to be in like a hyper competitive, like step on each other's throats sort of environment. So I knew that that was important to me. So that's what drew me to Penn. I love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm also 27 and going into law school, I was like, oh, I don't know if I have the same energy as the <laughs> folks who are going straight through also having had some work experience. You just, I think, approach it differently. So totally hear that. Um, I love to hear that you were working on like arts programs as well in the prisons. There was this class in undergrad that I took, which had a, a component where we would go do direct service in a juvenile detention center and like teach dance. One of my favorite classes, actually probably my favorite class ever. It was incredible, very moving. Um, and yeah, I don't know what type of art were you, were you all engaged in? I know there's so many different arts programs and I, I, you know, they're probably very underfunded and underrated, but very, very cool work. Yeah. It's honestly a tragedy though. The program that I, I was in, it was space and prisons for arts and creative expression. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a program run out of my undergraduate institution. It now no longer exists, uh, for a yeah. lot of reasons, mm-hmm. um, it is all sorts of art. So it's whatever medium really our participants wanted. So what we would do is we would create a curriculum of like, you know, these are the things that we as facilitators have some sort of skill set in. These are the supplies that we have access to. And we would come to the participants and we would say, what sort of things do you want to explore during this period of time? What sort of things do you want us to bring in? Mm. Um, and for that reason, a lot of our curriculum ended up being pretty political and uh, that created a contentious relationship with the, the prisons as one might expect. So we ended up having to get our curricula screened and then ultimately they decided they didn't want us in there anymore. But um, I did all sorts of things. I, there was a dance workshop. Um, 
which my co-facilitator led and I just participated in because I have no dance expertise, <laughs> at least in training folks. Um, we did writing workshops. We did other sorts of visual arts things. We did banner making, collages, whatever sorts of things folks wanted to work on. So it was fun. It was flexible and client or not client really, but participant driven, which mm-hmm. was nice. Well, that's really exciting to hear about your work. Um, and I'm sure that plays into a huge role about why you were selected as this year's, <laughs> one of this year's Sadie Scholars. So just to give folks a background on the Sadie Scholarship, last year, in light of all of the killings of so many Black individuals, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, we in Balsa were getting really, really frustrated, of course, and wanted to do something to benefit our community in a positive way. So one of the things that we did was um, garner a uh, um, donations and and get donations from different organizations and and sort of try to channel that in in support of racial justice organizations who are helping with that. But we also knew that there is a critical need for more funding for black students at Penn, right? And specifically at Penn Law. I definitely had a, a struggle with this when deciding on whether to come to Penn Law or not and was not giving any financial aid. And that was sort of a rough decision for me um, to try to figure out if I should come or not. And I definitely did not want any student to feel like they had to make that choice. And I know so many more of my classmates in Balsa were feeling similar but different frustrations around uh, financial equity. So um, one of the suggestions that I put into our demands, um, and we sort of did like a collective demands, was the Sadie scholarships. Um, because I was thinking, you know, that I, it's actually really shocking that we don't have one. <laughs> Sadie Alexander, uh, Dr. Sadie T.M. Alexander is an incredible, remarkable woman who was the first Black female uh, Penn Law student ever um, and graduate. And she also earned a PhD in economics at Penn. So she honestly was ahead of her time, some would say, um, and a really incredible figure. And so if you do have the chance to come to the school, I don't know if you visited yet, but we have an incredible portrait of uh, Sadie Alexander right at the front entrance, which to me, that's what sold me on Penn. When I came to visit, I first met um, Miss Paula, uh, who hopefully you'll have the pleasure of meeting. Uh, She's incredible. And then I also saw the Sadie Alexander portrait. And so to me, those two black women were sort of what set the tone for me entering into this building and feeling like this was a place for me. So with that in mind, we hoped that the Sadie scholarships would allow more black women to feel welcome, like this is a space for them and that they can enter the legal profession without barriers. So, and I know we've sort of talked a little bit about this before, but you know, really trying to emphasize that black women and female identifying folks should be able to go into the legal market without debt and um, without any sort of obstruction uh, for the career path they wanna pursue, whether that's big law, whether that's public interest, whether that's academia, government, whatever it is, there should be no barrier imposed by debt. So that's really sort of the reasoning behind it. So with that, I'm really excited that you were one of the (laughs) selected Sadie scholars. And I just wanted to hear a little bit more about, you know, how you felt during 
this whole process during the application process when you found out. Um, I know how I felt when I found out that you got it. So <laughs> I want to hear about it from you first. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it even existed was just incredible to me. And I felt really remarkable because it was the only sort of scholarship of its type in any of the schools I applied to, you know, there were public interest oriented scholarships, which I was interested in. And, um, but all of them sort of one didn't emphasize the sort of generational wealth gap that black folks experience. Um, and also they weren't unfettered entirely. There's like a contractual, a contractual basis for, you know, getting, being eligible for the funding that you have to do X, Y, Z in order to qualify. And that's also important. And it's, it's um, still a wonderful opportunity for folks, but this is the only scholarship of the schools that I applied to that basically gave um, folks unfettered access to the, the legal profession, which is, incredible. So just the fact that it existed, I was, it made me much more um, excited about the prospect of attending Penn. So when I got the email that I was a finalist, I was buying a bag of candy at Walgreens, (laughs) fully started sobbing. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, It was just, I mean, it, the feeling just even being considered for the scholarship brought me so much joy and relief. Um, joy that all of the many years of hard work um, was being recognized um, or were being recognized. And also um, the 27 years of hard work living in this world uh, were being recognized and then relief at the possibility of going into law school not feeling shackled by tremendous debt that basically would shape and constrain what sort of work I was able to do um the interview process and I mean the whole process was really lovely everyone was so supportive throughout yourself included um the the committee was super friendly and warm and generous and that also showed me this is a community that is they're trying to build a community that is in support of other people so that that was a I think a pretty notable part of the experience and then finally when I actually got the phone call um awarding me the scholarship again fully sobbed (laughs) for a long time (laughs) just intermittent sobbing throughout the day (laughs) it's just the I I think I remember calling my partner and saying I feel free um and that was just a I think an incredible part of the experience for me wow that's really incredible I know when you told me I at first I was like really oh my gosh I had a a feeling and then all (laughs) of a sudden it just it overcame me and I became really emotional about it because to see I think beforehand you know we were really excited okay yeah we have these city scholarships now like great like we need to still do more there's a lot of work to be done we sort of like kept chugging and this I think was the first time where I paused and was like 
oh, this is a, this is a huge deal. I mean, I know it's a huge deal. Yeah. It really, for me, cemented that. And I also throughout the day sort of just kept, it came in waves and I sort of was like, oh, this is a, a reality that, that a black woman can live in. You know, it just really, I think is still sort of something that I need to get used to. And I'm sure other folks will probably feel some very similar reactions. It's not something that, um, happens every day, <laughs> sadly. Um, but I do think it's, it's just, it, it made me so happy. I know it's going to make the whole black community at Penn, both alumni and current students included, just incredibly, incredibly proud, um, and excited. So, you know, the fact that you mentioned this is sort of the only scholarship that you found out there that really allowed you to feel free. Um, you know, to me is great for Penn, right? Great that we were able to do this, but sad. And and I think it's it's unfortunate because that shouldn't be something that's so uncommon and it feels so unachievable that you, you know, ever feel like, oh, I'm doubting myself, you know, am I going to be able to get this? And, and feeling that sense of relief is incredible. But I think the stress of, of feeling like this may be something that is unattainable or that I can't get is, is also something to consider because, you know, there's only three of these, right? But there's a mm-hmm. lot of Black women who want to enter the legal profession. I don't know the exact statistic of how many Black women are in the legal profession, but uh, Black folks in general only make up like 5%, I believe. And mm-hmm. that hasn't changed in about a decade, which when you think about just our entire justice system and how Black folks disproportionately make up the majority of the incarcerated population, yet a terrible minority of attorneys, something's, something's wrong. Something, mm-hmm. Something's really wrong. Um, I'm grateful that like we can be here to be hopefully changing those types of systems um, regardless of whatever career path we decide to pursue. But that is something that I, I think when moments like this happen, I actually take a step back and realize, oh, this is a historic moment. These, these are milestones that we need to keep pushing for at a faster rate. I mean, it's 2021. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, I know. And there, I mean, obviously there are merit scholarships and things folks can get at other schools that aren't named scholarships or like they get the dean scholarships or whatever and those can do something for folks and those are useful too but this is like an opportunity to be a part of something that is creating this sort of scaffolding where black women who are oftentimes looked over are supported and given equal access or equitable access to to the field. And I think that that's one of the most significant parts of it too, that it's like, it's creating programming and it's creating a structure for supporting folks in this community. It's just really so wild and so, so amazing in so many different ways. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a really great point. The community aspect is something that 
I think balsa feels very strongly about at least definitely my class and I I know uh probably every class and I, I feel badly for the one else this year because they don't really know their entire class yet but they will get there um you know but this sense of being a part of a community will hopefully come through being a part of balsa but this specific community surrounding this surrounding the Sadie scholarship I think you're right is an incredible opportunity to actually take a look at the wealth gap, actually take a look at how this is, you know, how you all can sort of work together to propel each other's careers and how this is going to potentially be a catalyst for you to be able to change that generational wealth story, right? Um, I think a lot about folks' generational wealth stories and, and I think that even, I probably don't even know the extent of it. You know, I think that folks don't really take the time necessarily to really think about, okay, how how did their grandparents experience discrimination, not just on the surface, but in trying to build wealth? How, how did that actually occur on the day-to-day? How did that occur um, in between generations from great grandparents to our grandparents to our parents and then to us and, you know, what are the things that stuck? <laughs> what are the things that were not um, achievable? And what are the things that we can change that trajectory from? I mean, the wealth gap's times 10 right now, which is pretty pretty scary um, and seems to be increasing. So I definitely, I hope that there are more opportunities like this to mm-hmm. create debt-free and like you said, contractual-free opportunities. Um, that's something that I definitely have been trying to trying to wrap my head around is this notion that we're we're having to contract for debt disproportionately at so many levels. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was something I thought about also in the um, I mean in the context of applying for these public interest scholarships that obviously not the only people who want to do public interest work are are black and brown folks, but. Right. Um, for many of us who want to do sort of criminal legal work or community work, it's uh, an existential question. It's not a choice of, you know, when do I care about this? It's this work is who I am. This is how I walk through the world. It has implications for my everyday life. And the fact that um, there are already all of these barriers to accessing this sort of field, um, for folks from these communities that then in order to gain access, um, you're signing a contract basically saying that you are committing additional years of your life as though the years up until that point weren't already sort of shackled to that premise in the first place um, in order to continue doing this work that you want to do. Again, I'm not, I think those are still wonderful opportunities and I know I, I think that they're important to give folks access to the, to the legal profession and to the work that they want to do. Um, but I do think about that a lot, like what it means to be uh, mandating what sort of work folks can do as a condition of them being able to join the school or um, do the work. Yeah, definitely. And it sort of reminded me of what you were talking about with the curriculum and how all of these sort of requirements, even for someone to participate in a a rehabilitative program were so constrict constricting. And, you know, you sort of feel like, okay, well, 
that they're deciding already who's who's eligible for this, who is worthy of this. It almost sort of feels similar. You're sort of deciding like who's worthy of actually transforming their wealth journey and their intergenerational like families opportunity to be free. <laughs> and you're sort of predetermining that by putting these, you know, seemingly reasonable obligations or, you know, caveats, which like you said, can be very beneficial for folks, but also can be harmful depending on, you know, which community you're from, depending on your, your family background, depending on your, um, your goals and your pursuits. And so, yeah, I, I like what you said about, about sort of thinking about what does it mean to really be free? Um, and that that was sort of the first thing that came to your mind when you talked to your partner was that that's, that's sort of how I felt when I found out about you getting the same scholarship is I felt like a weight sort of drop. <laughs> My debt mm-hmm. still hasn't been relieved, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, I did feel some sort of emotional relief with that. Um, so what's what's next now that you are a Sadie scholar and um, I'm hoping committing to Penn. <laughs> oh, um, I've committed. I'm okay. there. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's next for you? What are you excited about um, in starting this like journey in law school or even this summer? You know, what are sort of your plans between now and next fall? Yeah. So I'm working until the end of May. Um, (laughs) I have a lot of unused vacation days because that's what it's like. Pandemic. Yeah. So I, uh, um, taking a month off of vacation, which is nice. And then I'm going to just sleep. (laughs) I feel like I haven't truly rested in years. Um, I feel like that's what life is like at a public defender's office, especially through the pandemic. But wow. anyway, I'm excited to rest this summer. Yeah, you all didn't really stop at all. I mean, you can't stop. No, we couldn't. We couldn't. And I mean, there were so many additional things that we didn't anticipate, like the jails locking down and us not being able to go see our clients meant that we had to start doing these. We had to do phone and video calls with our clients and the jails couldn't handle that. So the court ordered that our office facilitate them. So I've literally been scheduling legal calls for the entire defense bar for the last year, <laughs> which has just been that's utter nice. chaos. <laughs> but um, that's done. I'm done with it now. But well, it's not done. I have passed along that duty to someone else. Um, so I'll be resting this summer. I'm not actually sure when classes will start. They haven't released the academic calendar yet, but I'm excited to move to Philly at some point this summer and get to know my new neighborhood. And I'm nervous about law school because I haven't been to school in five years. <laughs> yeah, that's um, how I felt too. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm hopeful that the skills that I, I've developed over the last several years of working a job will <laughs> help me in school. Um, I'm nervous to figure out how to do the thing, I, <laughs> do the lawyer thing, <laughs> but I'm really excited to, to meet the other Sadie folks, to meet all the toll public interest people, to meet my classmates um, and figure out what the Sadie program is going to be, honestly, and, and to have a hand in hoping to craft it. I'm, I'm really excited to, to start doing that work. So 
I'm not sure what the next couple of months slash year looks like for me, but I'm really eager to to get started. Nice. Yeah. You'll have a, a lot of, a lot of great opportunities to really shape how this Sadie scholarship program works. Um, it's really sort of a clean slate. So yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for it too. Um, and, you know, just to sort of see how that ends up working out. Um, it's definitely, it's, you know, the beginning of a really cool program. So I'm excited for you to start law school. I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of surprising things. Hopefully it'll be in person. I don't know if they've communicated anything to you all as admits, but I think that they're hoping that we're back in person. That's what I've heard. That's, that's the plan. So I'm knock on wood. That is actually what ends up happening. Cause yeah. I would love to see humans. <laughs> right. Right. Or at least a hybrid situation. I know folks had that this, this year, which is still difficult. I hear, you know, just in terms of meeting folks, but at least you have um, a cohort of people that you somewhat know and right or at least, you know, like half of their face <laughs> or yeah, right. being in person with masks or, you know, but uh, yeah, they, they definitely said it was a weird experience. I can't even imagine it. It's definitely been yeah. weird being on Zoom the whole, the whole year, but yeah. 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 But I am eager in whatever way it happens. I'm eager to meet my, my classmates soon. Yeah, that's going to be so great. Well, thank you so much for this, Reem. I um, am really excited to meet the other Sadie Scholars um, and like join you all in this journey as Sadie Scholars, um, cheering from near and far. Um, So definitely really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I don't know if you have any sort of like final closing words for folks who may be listening, who are even thinking about law school, not really sure if they're, if that's the right path for them or just in general pursuing sort of a career that is someplace where black women are really historically underrepresented. You know, I don't know if you have any words for those folks who might be listening and sort of wondering, you know, is this something that is for me? Hmm. Yeah. That makes me think of, um, of, uh, two, different things. One is that I I don't know that law school would have been for me. I wouldn't have known unless I had done this work. Um, I had done a lot of work with people who were in prisons, but I hadn't been in a law office and seen the ways that you can be an advocate for the issues that you care about. Um, So for folks who haven't yet applied, um, if you have the ability to, to dip your toe in the water, I would recommend it. Um, (laughs) If you don't, um, one of the things I had thought about a lot since being in this office is there weren't a lot of people that look like me who are in the upper echelons Mm. of management roles of, you know, just even being attorneys, there were a lot of support staff or paralegals or whoever, who are people of color. Um, And it can sometimes, that can sometimes seem, uh, make the profession seem daunting. Um, but especially with things like the Sadie, that person could be you. And it's not, it doesn't mean um, that it's disqualifying. It just means that um, you need to find the right place that's willing to support you and invest in you really. And I'm grateful because I feel that way about Penn, but um, hopefully 
folks can find a community that supports them and cheers them on and and helps them to get to that place where they want to be. Yeah, I love that. That's really helpful. I'm taking that advice as well (laughs) in whatever space I go into because it's always a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah, I have to, it's an incantation. I have to say it to myself too. Yeah, positive affirmations. We, exactly, especially just during this time, it's, I know it's been a very particularly difficult week with the murder of Dr. Wright. So very challenging. Um, But I'm, I'm grateful that we can have these sorts of conversations and really reflect and take a moment to sort of express appreciation for the work that we've done and in sort of the places that we're in. I know my mom is always trying to remind me to do that. And I'm like really bad Mm -hmm. at it. So I hope that you are (laughs) much better at that and really do sort of take the time to, you know, just be proud of yourself and bask in like this feeling. So really excited for you. And thank you so much for coming on Penlaw Perspectives. And I know we'll chat soon. Um, So I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. Thanks so much. You too. Thanks for having me.